Greetings, family, and welcome to The Journey Continues, the Cities United podcast. My name is Anthony Smith, and I'll be your host each month as we take this journey together to reimagine public safety. Cities United is a national network that supports mayors, community leaders, and young leaders from all across the country who are committed to creating safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for young black men and boys and their families. On each episode, you will hear from key stakeholders from throughout our network who will help us examine the issues that impact young black men and boys' lives, while also helping us identify key solutions and best practices that will help us reimagine public safety and truly create spaces that are safe, healthy, and hopeful for all. On this episode of The Journey Continues, I get to have a conversation with two of our national partners who are both committed to making sure those on the front line in our cities have the resources that they need to keep young black men and boys and their families safe, healthy, and hopeful. Today, we get to talk to Michael Sean Spence of Everytown and Dr. Adrian Wilson from My Brothers Keepers Alliance at the Obama Foundation. Please sit back and enjoy the show. All right, so cool. Uh, excited to have uh, Michael Sean Spence from Everytown join us for this uh, month's episode of the Journey Continues podcast, uh, really talking about uh, digging in deep around community-based organizations doing the frontline work, who supports them, why they support them, and why they matter. So we're going to spend some time with Michael Sean really thinking through that. So Michael John, Michael Sean, thanks for joining us, and thanks for being here, bro. Thanks for having me. Yeah, can you give us, uh, so really want to jump in first and just get a little background of who you are, uh, what you do, and why you do it. And uh, and then, uh, then we'll talk a little bit more about the work itself. But just tell us about who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Definitely, definitely. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. I appreciate the, the opportunity to join you and the Cities United family to talk a little bit about the work, the work that I've been committed to, that Anthony and Cities United is committed to, to help reduce gun violence and its impact on black and brown men and boys across the nation, as well as the communities that we know have been behind the eight ball for far too long. Um, in my role as Senior Director of Community Safety Initiatives at Everytown for Gun Safety, uh, the nation's largest gun violence prevention organization, um, I had the unique opportunity to work in support of community-based violence intervention programs, community members, survivors, elected officials, and other empowered stakeholders who recognize the public health epidemic that's currently impacting our nation, the unique role that community-based violence intervention programs and community leaders and survivors can play, and the true need for robust resources and sustained resources to ensure the continued effectiveness and impact of those strategies and people as part of a comprehensive approach to reducing gun violence. Recognizing that there is no single solution that can reduce gun violence, but it truly requires pulling all levers, all levers of government, of community, uh, so that we can all come together to utilize a comprehensive, diverse, multi-pronged approach. So how do we do that at every town? We do that in a few ways. Uh, my team leads the investments that we make in community-based violence intervention programs. We convene community-based violence intervention programs, as well as influential uh, experts in this space. Uh, we work to build capacity of those who recognize this public health epidemic and the role each of us can play. We advocate on their behalf at all levels of government federal, state, and local. And then we do engagement and awareness campaigns. 
where we talk to corporations, philanthropy, athletes, influencers, and others about the unique role they can play in raising awareness about the impact gun violence is having in our communities nationwide, but also how they can uniquely support. And it goes beyond just dollars. It's truly about giving a hand, showing up however they're needed, uh, meeting folks in the groups that we support where they are, uh, ensuring that they have those supports necessary to sustain their programs in the short term while advocating for federal, uh, state, and local dollars to ensure those programs in the long term. So we really try to light the pilot, I guess you could say, uh, to help these groups continue their, their life-saving critical work uh, while advocating for government to really sustain them with real investment. Now, thank you for that, and I appreciate the overview of all that it takes to really move this work. Uh, I want to dive a little bit deeper into you, right? So where were you before every town and what made what what make this part of your life's mission at this moment? It's a great question. Um, my first interaction with gun violence was actually at the age of 13 uh, when when a gun was pulled on me. Uh, 10 years later, my cousin, uh, Christopher Daniels, uh, was shot nine times while he was dropping off his then girlfriend in Brooklyn. Uh, he fortunately was able to drive himself to uh, Brookdale Hospital, where my mother actually was a med surge nurse during the crack epidemic in the 80s. Wow. 25 years later, he was able to drive himself there. He crashed his car, but fortunately, he's still with us today. Um, so those experiences, as well as the experiences of others that I grew up with in the community of East Elmhurst, New York, uh, you may know uh, about Malcolm X and his house that was firebombed. That's in the same community. It's also the community that Harry Belafonte owned his first home. It's also mm. where Louis Armstrong and his wife chose to make their home. That's where I, I grew up. Um, and the experiences of my own, my family members and friends informed my decision at a young age that I wanted to be a part of the solution. And that's why I went to Howard Law. Uh, and immediately after I graduated, I became a prosecutor in Queens in the same borough that I grew up in. I served uh, in that role for almost a decade before going up to Albany. I desired to have a bigger and wider impact on more people who look like me. Um, unfortunately, when you're a part of the system, you see a lot of faces uh, a lot of times. And I wanted to impact more people in a more holistic and humanizing way. So I wanted to be on the policy side. I wanted to help develop the strategy. I wanted to work at the state level so I could impact all of the 62 counties in New York State, and I was able to do that as I consulted the Gun Involved Violence Elimination Initiative. Uh, that kicked off in 2014. I joined the team in 2015, uh, and I stayed there till 2018. Between 2014 and 2018, across the 17 counties that we worked in, we had a 15, we contributed to a 15% decline in all gun-related crimes across those counties. Uh, and, and, and in part due to the multi-pronged, multi-faceted approach that I mentioned earlier, uh, but also with strategic partnerships. The state gave dollars to counties that could show a MOU or continuing collaboration and partnership amongst DA, police, community-based violence intervention programs, and social services. That was the conditions required to get the support. And those were also the conditions that allowed them to thrive in partnership with real robust support, coordination, and research access. 
So when I came to Everytown, recognizing the progress that we made, I began to try to replicate that approach, providing that direct investment to folks that are on the front lines, ensuring training, capacity building, and technical assistance for all of our stakeholders, community members, survivors, as well as law enforcement. Um, and in fact, I just, before this conversation, completed a training for all uh, of New York State's law enforcement on our ERFO law. So that same exact work that I'm continuing to support New York State doing is what I'm now able to lead at every town for community members across the nation. So that's, that's basically why I've been committed to it and remain committed over the last 15 years. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, we want to always make sure that people hear our stories around why we do this work, why we're in this work, and that people understand that it's personal, right? It's personal in ways that I don't think a lot of folks understand or get. So really appreciate you sharing your story about your cousin Christopher and your experience uh, with gun violence, and then also giving some context of the history uh, of those folks who have been working on this issue way before you and I were even thought of or around, right? So how do we continue to struggle uh, because it's been going on for a long time, right? And then you talked about using what you learned uh, in New York to really then take it across the country. Uh, and, and can you talk a little bit about the Community Safety Fund, how long it's been up, what it is and what it does? Uh, and then what's the vision you all have for that as you move forward? Yes, yes. So I joined Every Town in 2018. Um, and at that time, my department, as well as our mission to support community-based bonds and adventure programs, and I know Anthony knows this very well because he was a part of these initial conversations, it did not exist at every town at that time. Uh, right. In part because we are a growing organization who was founded in 2014, um, but also because the acknowledgement of the unique role that community-based bonds and adventure programs have been fulfilling for decades had not been acknowledged. So my first job internally at Everytown was really socializing the value of community-based violence intervention programs, as well as identifying how Everytown could be a resource uh, and support to these programs and the leaders like Anthony, like Erica Ford at Life Camp, like Greg Jackson at CJAF, who have been advocating for necessary support for years. How do we fall in line and be of support immediately? took some time and with Anthony's support and a number of others, we were able to identify that the first thing we can do is provide robust, direct, discretionary investment to community-based violence intervention programs. And we started that just 36 months ago. It's crazy to think that so much <laughs> has been accomplished in such a short amount of time. And I'm not right. just talking about every town. I'm talking about the movement. I'm talking about our ecosystem of gun violence prevention. I'm talking about the black and brown leaders that are leading this work day in and day out and has made so much traction in recent months and years. Um, but 2019, we provided our first 11 grants, 1.1 million to programs in 11 different cities. And since then, we've grown to a program that has provided more than $7 million to more than 70 programs. I think we're at 72 um, in more than 57 cities. And we tailor our support to 501c3 community-based violence intervention programs that are implementing strategies that are evidence-informed and backed by research. We're talking about street outreach programs. We're talking about hospital-based violence intervention. We're talking about group violence intervention. We're talking about youth-focused CBT programs and trauma counseling uh, programs that are culturally competent 
that are centered in communities and led by community members. We're talking about programs like the Trayron Center in DC. We're talking about GRASP in Denver. We're talking about Advanced Peace and Youth Alive on the West Coast. And we're talking about groups in big cities like Miami uh, and New York, as well as small cities like North Charleston, South Carolina, and Madison, Wisconsin. All communities that are being imp uh, impacted by gun violence and who need real support in this moment. So we've committed over the last three years to providing support and moving forward, we've committed to continuing that work through 2026 and hopefully beyond. But we've also tried to provide much more than just the check. As I mentioned, the capacity building, the technical assistance, the convenings, it's a core component of our program. And the reason is many of these programs already have expertise that other groups can benefit from. So we bring them together to share their lessons learned, to share those best practices, as well as common barriers and workarounds. And we've seen increasingly that groups in cities that never knew of each other are now collaborating to craft new solutions or adopt solutions they've learned from each other. We also bring experts into our quarterly calls and convenings so they can access their expertise. Expertise that sometimes comes with a price tag that these programs can't afford. We can bridge that gap. We can ensure their access to these individuals so that they can then support their work moving forward. So that's what we hope to continue to do over the next few years. Yeah, what was that number that you all said? You know, how much have you already committed so far? 7.15 to 72 right. groups in 57 cities. Wow, and then what's the what's the commitment dollar wise moving forward? The total commitment was twenty five is twenty five million dollars through twenty twenty six. So that's our our biggest and immediate goal. Nice, nice. Uh, and you know, I was just you know I talked to a lot of the organizations that you all support uh, just through the work that we do across the country, and and you can tell the difference. And then to your point, it's not just about the check, right? It really is around building this network of folks who are committed to this work and were committed to it before every town and before Cities United came into the mix. There's been community-based folks who have been committed to creating safe communities for our young folks most impacted, right? So now the yep. opportunity, not only to give resources, but to also lift up, right? And, and, and say to other folks, these are the people who are doing the work uh, which is one of the reasons why, you know, for me, when you asked me to be a part of the committee and the team, it was an easy yes, because folks need every resource they can get to get this work done, right? And I think it was also another one of your points, it was a growth point for every town because that was not their lane and they were not in that space for a long time and needed to be because they do have one of the biggest platforms and the biggest uh microphones to really help elevate this work and move this work so really thankful that you're in the space and that you're a part of that conversation right so as you all move forward and you think 26 of uh, 2026 and beyond what other things do you see coming for every town as you continue to and you and the work as you continue to build it out that's a great question and, and of course i'm i'm trying to think down downfield constantly and i'll tell you something that um is in the front of mind is expanding our ecosystem, creating an on-ramp for programs that are already working to address the intersectional issues, those root causes that we know COVID yeah. exacerbated. Um, those programs are already doing gun violence prevention, ensuring that they have the on-ramp to access the technical expertise and capacity building 
to adopt some of these other strategies that we're already supporting to integrate into their current mission, to have a comprehensive approach to the same exact population that that traditional street outreach and hospital-based violence intervention programs are responding to, that's a critical step, really expanding that ecosystem. Separately, there's a need for a hyper-local focus, even within cities. The data is clear. Gun violence is not endemic to cities. It is concentrated in gross pockets of inequity frequently, which have existed for decades. Uh, in Rochester, the Crescent is a community that has existed there for decades. Mm -hmm. It has long yeah. struggled uh, with all of the maladies that we know come with poverty and inequity. There needs to be a hyper-local focus even within cities where we see a whole of a government approach where they're leveraging all of their resources across their agencies, but also in collaboration with community members and survivors who are living in the communities, grappling with disproportionate gun, gun violence. And there are strategies that can be implemented and scaled in a hyper-local manner that can save lives. And that's the other piece of the puzzle, really expanding our ecosystem so that we have a comprehensive pro, uh, plan, but then we have the people to support, right? Responding right, to right. those intersectional issues while also stopping the shootings and ensuring we're wrapping survivors and shooters who are equally vulnerable in the services that can change their lives, right? But then also making sure that where we're creating these uh, hyper-focused strategic efforts that do de uh, decapacitate and dispossess individuals who are perpetrating our violence in a concentrated manner and killing and killing people in our cities. So it's strategic. It's also about building out our ecosystem, ensuring that we have the soldiers um, to do the work that we're already doing. Yeah, no, that's nice. Good to hear. Because I think that's it, right? Because this this work only happens at the local level. But to your point, it's just hyper-local when you really focus on those most at risk, right? So where do you put your resources and where do you put your time? And I'm really excited about all that you all are doing. And as we wrap up this conversation, right, with all of this, right, because with you and I both see across the country, numbers are at all-time high. Uh, but there's hope, right? Where do you find hope at? And where do you see hope at? And what keeps you hopeful uh, as you continue to do this work? Two things keep me hopeful. Um, all of the resources that are on the horizon at the federal level and in many states, hard-earned dollars that a coalition-based advocacy uh, strategy led by Black and Brown uh, CBI leaders made come to fruition. That gives me hope. Um, ensuring that those dollars hit the front line is the work yep. that's left to do. Uh, making sure that when they do hit the front line, folks can operationalize those dollars and leverage them to sustain their programs and expand uh, their footprints and go to more communities in need and reach out to more program participants. That's the work that's ahead. But the fact that it is on the horizon, that is incredibly promising. And then additionally, the effectiveness and impact of the strategies that we are seeing come to fruition in city after city after city. We see an increase in street outreach programs, city by city, an increase in commitment and investment in hospital-based violence intervention programs, an increase in the understanding of the unique role that uh, returning citizens and violence interrupters can play in the hospital setting and in the school setting when they get immediate access to the most vulnerable amongst us. Those are game-changing um, opportunities, and I'm so excited to see them come to more fruition, and I know that there'll be more uptick in investment in the months and years ahead. So I, that that's what gives me hope. 
No, exciting, right? And I think, you know, part of that 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 hope and that that vision that you just talked about is the ideal that folks are also inside of all of those resources are advocating for the folks who do the frontline work to be paid well, right? <laughs> to be supported well and to be uplifted and recognize that the frontline workers that they are. And I think that's on all of our responsibility to make sure it happens, man. But I really do appreciate you making time. I uh, appreciate the partnership that we have with every town and you specifically at every town to really build this out. Uh, and just really thankful that you all saw fit and, and saw a vision to really support those on the ground uh, doing the work every day uh, and using your platform to do that. And uh, just thanks for making time for us today, man, and then joining the podcast and, uh, and really just uh, all the work that you do. Thank you again, Anthony. None of this work uh, that every town has been able to do at the community level could be accomplished without your support and guidance, without uh, the consultation of Cities United and all of our other partners in the Black and Brown Consortium. So I'm equally grateful for the opportunity to discuss this with you and I look forward to the work ahead. Cool, appreciate it, bro. All right. So Dr. Adrian Wilson, thank you for joining us uh, for this month's podcast, uh, the Journey Continues podcast with Cities United. No, um, no, no. I'm really, really excited to, to join you. Uh, really excited to have you, man, and really excited to let our network know who you are and, uh, and what you do. So can you do us a favor, man? Just introduce yourself, right? Tell us about who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I serve as the executive director of My Brother's Keeper. Um, at the Obama Foundation, um, have been in the role. Wow, Anthony, I know we met early on in my journey. I think it's now about five months or so. Um, I mean, at times it feels like it, a year, don't it? Yeah, sometimes it feels like five years, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's been an amazing, amazing journey. And, um, you know, the best way, Anthony, for me to tell you a little bit just about myself is to start maybe, and I'll, and I'll be quick, but how I grew up. Yeah, it's really yeah. kind of brother informed uh, who I am to this day, honestly. Um, I was, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, Southern Baptist too. So, so, you know, so if I get a little preachy, you'll have to clean it up for me. Okay. <laughs> <That's all good. laughs> but, but I um, grew up in um, rural Louisiana. Um, and as we like to say down there, I was really blessed with a beautiful black mama, brother. I mean, um, amazing woman. Uh, didn't have a lot of education, but valued education mm -hmm. and was a praying woman. Um, you know, a little later in my life, I realized that the technical term for how we grew up um, is extreme poverty. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have indoor plumbing or running water um, Anthony, in any home that I lived in. So I was about 12 or 13. Um, and so during the summer months, right, it used to be really, really hard um, for my family because our food stamps would run out um, by the middle of, you know, the month. And um, we would honestly run out of food to eat. And so I would watch this beautiful, amazing woman, uh, my mother, cry herself to sleep at night, right, because we didn't have food to eat. Um, but let me just tell you the power of even in the midst of that kind of homeless, you know, um, hopelessness and um, the, 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 the notion that like, you know, we would face another day in the morning, not, not with the sun shining and, and, and all the beauty, right? But another day of hardship, even in the midst of all of that, 
um, Anthony, I can remember, right, in my, my little, like, eight-year-old voice, the nine-year-old voice, and ten-year-old voice, I would um, I would go to her and say, Mama, this is not what, right, they taught us in school about the American mm. dream, right? Um, and what the American dream affords every single person, right, regardless of race, right? And and I would always say to her, right, something to the effect of, and I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to change this, right? Um, in the Early midst age. of that, um, brother, in the midst of that, like, 90-degree weather and 150% humidity and the suffering, right, that, that we were experience, experiencing, this woman always looked down at her son and always said, um, baby, you are right baby baby you're gonna make a difference and and anthony she always um in the next breath taught me the definition of community right because she would always say you're not just gonna do it for us but you're gonna do it for our other relatives you're gonna do it for other people in the community um and so so right what a powerful lesson and to be honest with you brother started my journey of service right um, for, for others, right? And, and my definition, again, of community and, and also helped me understand at a very, very young age, right? That we all need somebody in our lives, right? That's cheerleading us on. And there hasn't been an adult I've engaged to date, right? That, that has said to me, they didn't have that person, right? So it could be a mentor, parents, right? But just somebody in your journey right in fact i still need it to this day anthony i don't know about you i you know those days when, when things get thick and tough right like that to, to have that 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 tribe that you can go to to be like brother it's okay right uh you know just keep your head up and keep pushing um and so you know i've done a lot of different roles i've been national ceo of public allies um that that is squarely in the obama family um First Lady Michelle Obama founded our program in Chicago many, many years ago. And President Obama actually was on our first national board of directors. Wow. Um, well, that's some 30 years ago now. Wow, time just really flies <laughs> by, right? Um, and I've served in government. My last role was uh, deputy chief of staff to the Democratic governor of Louisiana. And so I'm bringing, right, a whole lot of experiences, lived experiences, um, you know, education, have a PhD in public policy, um, but but let me just tell you, man, I always go back to those lessons in that rural community um, from that beautiful black woman, right, that raised me, um, that have really lived on um, through my journey, regardless of what space I occupy. Um, I am centered in what it means to value everyone, understand um, we all have assets, we all have a voice. And how do we honor that, right? As we do the journey um, that we call leadership. Um, and for those that that don't know what uh, my brother's keeper is, um, in 2014, right, President Obama called us all, right, to action and say we must do something, right, um, to support um, our boys and young men of color um, in America. Um, and uh, it is a, a cradle to career um, construct. Um, focused on six milestones. And at some point, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the milestones. Yeah. Um, but uh, but we're in 250 communities across the country. And, um, you know, I, I know you queued me up and, and we'll talk a little bit about what I'm saying for the future. But, uh, but just again, Anthony, uh, for your audience, I want to say you're one of the first brothers when I came into the role to welcome me. 
Um, we've done some partnerships already um, that we'll talk a little bit about, I'm sure. Um, but but I but you've uh, role model for me, right? And what we should be role modeling for each other as as men of color, as black men, right? What it means to understand that that the the lift is heavy, yes, and you can't lift it alone, and that we all must be um, in community together, um, kind of pushing in the same direction, right? Yeah. Now, Doctor, I appreciate you taking that time, Doc, and really giving us a background of who you are, and 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 giving a shout out to the strong black women who mother us, right? Whether they're our birth mother or other right, uh, right. women who come into our lives who help guide us along and help move the work, right? And help lead the work, right? It ain't even just guiding us. It's, it's the it's the walking beside us as we do this journey and making sure that we're doing it right. So I want to appreciate you for that. Yeah, you know, let, let me, yeah, let me also say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, let me also say, because I, I love how you frame that because people um, often talk to me about leaders and mm. leaders that influence my life. And I always say the first leaders in my life are black women, right? Absolutely. My mother and my grandmother, right? Absolutely. And so it, it was funny because there was a time for me when when I first engaged with like my first male leader, then I was like, wait, 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 I don't um, don't understand what this means, right? Uh, so just really interesting, right? Uh, perspectives. Yep. No, no, that grounding it is important, and it's important to how we continue to grow and lead, and how we support other leaders coming up, right? So I think all of that matters, right? And I think another point that you made is right on, is that you've got to have a tribe who you can lean on, right? You got to have folks who you can call those mentors. Uh, family members, whoever it is that gives you the support and the guidance that you need because everybody's not going to help guide you in the right way. So I think those are leadership lessons that a lot of folks can take in and really uh, move forward. Spend a little time with the six principles because I think it's important, right? When we talk about cradle to career and we talk about uh, elevating uh, what it means to really support young boys and men of color and young black men in this work, in this world, what does that mean, right? And, and and why do those pillars matter to the work, not only at the MBK and Obama Foundation, but throughout the country? Why does it matter? Yeah, no, let me let me say our, our six, we, we frame it as our six milestones for success. And I already shared that it's a cradle to career approach, right? And so I'll walk through each of the um, six milestones. So milestone one is uh, for our boys to enter school ready to learn. Uh, milestone two is reading at grade level um, by third grade. Uh, milestone three is graduation um, from high school. Um, and as a part of that, right, college ready and training ready, right? Um, and milestone four is um, completion of um, post-secondary education or training. Uh, milestone five, I like to frame it as um, full engagement with the workforce, right? Mm -hmm. um, we want our men at that point really engaged um, and thriving, right, in the workforce. And then milestone six really kind of covers all the others, right? Because milestone six is uh, reduce exposure to violence, right? Because we know, um, you know, for far too many of our boys, um, you know, the exposure to violence interrupts, right? All of the other milestones. Um, why is this important, um, Anthony? Because we have to have a comprehensive approach um, and we have to understand that we have to start at the youngest age possible, right? Um, for far too many um, of our boys, right? Um, they're not getting, right, the opportunity, right? 
um, that others um, that maybe that don't look like them are getting right. at every stage of the milestones, right? And so I, I often say, and I think I've even heard you say, right, that we don't have a talent challenge um, in, in, in communities of color or, or with our black boys, right? We have some opportunity challenges, right? And we believe if we focus on these six milestones and the systems, let me also say that, and the systems, right, that that um, each milestone represent and transform those systems as well, well, then we will look up and see a new day, right, in terms of opportunity, greatness, right, that we know, you and I know, exists already in our in our young men of color and our boys, right? Um, but the rest of the world and rest of America will see um, it um, in its fullest um, potential as, as we, right, do this work and, and make sure that um, any any young boy, right, any young boy of color born in America um, can live out um, their, their God-given fullest potential, right? And you and I both know that's not happening right now. Um, like, I can give you examples, right, in each of the milestones. Like, here in Chicago, um, for milestone one, when you think about ready um, to learn entering school, um, the Chicago public school system has a tool that they use um, at the beginning of kindergarten to measure school readiness. Yeah. And in the city, only 22% of African-American children are deemed ready to learn. So right off the bat, right? Like, like our beautiful children are fighting an uphill battle to just simply try to catch up right from kindergarten, right? And what we know is, is that there's some really great quality childcare in the city of Chicago. We know that we have early Head Start and Head Start. Uh, we know that we have all of this uh, research on early brain development from state institutions to Harvard and Yale, right? We know what we need to do. Again, it's just a question of how do we connect the dots? How do we engage with community and make sure all the opportunities um, are one, first known what they are, right? And then two, we facilitate connection um, in the ways that we need to. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, and I appreciate you. So thanks for taking the time to walk through all of those. And I know we partner across the whole spectrum, but really focus on that milestone six. Right. We have really spent a lot of our partnerships with the MBK and the Obama Foundation uh, really around making sure that we less and less young men are exposed to violence. Uh, and so a lot of the work that we do in partnership with you all have been around there. And I know we've been doing some exciting stuff this summer. You all kicked off your Freedom Summer 2022. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, what the inspiration was around it, and, uh, and what you all are seeing as you've launched this new Freedom Summer campaign? Uh, what does that look like for the MBK and the, and the community, right? So can you talk a little bit about what yeah, that no, is? No, 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 absolutely. Um, the, the first thing, and I'm not just doing this because I'm on, I'm on your podcast, but <laughs> let me tell you, I tell everybody I interact with, when we start talking about Freedom Summer, I was like, we have the best partnership in the country for Freedom Summer. I say cities united, right? And and our brother- We Anthony, appreciate that, man. Um, we feel the he, same way. No, no, thank, thank you for that. But but let me let me just let me just unpack that just a little bit because I want your listeners to fully understand why I'm saying that. <laughs> One, you are this really phenomenal leader in yourself, but your organization is so well positioned as you do the work with mayors and other stakeholders to really help them understand from a public policy to a grassroots perspective. Mm -hmm 
how to connect the dots, right? And what the evidence is and how the money flows. Absolutely. And, and that is so critical, right? To the infrastructure we need to build, to the cause of action that we will all be doing, um, to the results, right, that are much needed um, in every single community across our country, where it comes to this notion of reducing violence, right, reducing, um, you know, exposure to violence for our boys and young men of color. So that that's why I celebrate you. It, it is because you are such a key uh, component to this ecosystem um, in terms of what we ecosystem in terms of what we need to do. Um, and Cities United. Um, so I remember when I, I remember when I called you up and I was like, Brother Anthony, uh, we have this idea of Freedom Summer. You're like, tell me more. And I was like, shared a little more. And before I could get out like maybe two or three more sentences, you was like, we're in. We're 100%. And I was like, wait, wait, what did you say, right? Like, like you were, and that's what I loved about you. You were like, this is going to be good. We got to do this for folks. Um, Freedom Summer 2022 is basically our national call to action, right? To say that everyone and anyone can play a role, right? In creating safe spaces um, for our boys, right? You can be a barbershop, you can be a church, you can be one individual, right? Um, what we know, um, and I, and I kind of alluded to this before, right? What we know is to have a caring adult in the life of a young boy, a young man, right? Um, makes a world of difference. Someone that can look them in the eye and say, just like just like the mentors and folk in your life, Anthony, and in mine, right? To say, I see you fully. Um, I want you to live out the best life you possibly can. And I see all of your potential, right? And so, so it's just this national call to action. And, and in partnering with you, right, we understood that we had to get um, some dollars to the ground, but but I'm careful when I start talking about Freedom Summer because I think that we need to honor right the legacy of Freedom Summer yeah. before us and the legacy of our ancestors. Right? Yeah. Um, for many of your listeners, they will know that the first true Freedom Summer, right, yeah. was Freedom Summer of 1964. Right? There were you know with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee SNCC and the NAACP and the Southern Christian uh, Leadership Conference, SCLC, and, and others, right, came together and said, we got to, right, like, no one's, we, we can't wait for people. We got to own this. We got to step up to the plate, and we got to show some leadership, right? And so so their organizing was around voter, um, voter registration, right? And they did all of this and full inclusion in the economy and society, right? So, so, but they did all this amazing work. You know, they had Freedom Summers and Freedom Housing and Freedom Libraries, right? And and all the meetings and the organized thoughtful protests and and you know, and a lot of this uh, was centered in the in the beautiful state of Mississippi, right? Um, you know, and and of course, a couple of years before that, in '61. Um, you had, uh, you know, the Freedom Riders that started that journey that, 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 you know, also was a part of Freedom Summer of 64. I say all of that, one, because I love history. Right. Right. And a lot of the work that we have to do, we've had ancestors kind of leading the way for us for a very, very long time. Right. Right. Um, and so, but when you think about Freedom Summer 2022 and the connectedness to that thread, right? We're basically saying, right, um, regardless of how you see your power or lack thereof, right? Um, what zip code you're in or lack of resources in a particular zip code, right? Um, you can do something, right? right. 
And then also um, from the lens of understanding where we are in this country right now, um, and you and I talked about this, right? We got to figure out, and we talked about those zip, zip codes without resources, right? Mm -hmm. I like to think about, you know, even in the deep South, right? The young boys that are suffering, young men of color that are suffering, that are invisible. Yeah. to many of us, right? In the rural communities of Mississippi, Alabama, right? Louisiana. We have to figure out from a policy perspective, especially from a funder perspective, how we start um, getting dollars, right? In spaces and places that never see dollars, right? Um, and part of that is understanding what the assets are there. And then also it's, it's understanding in places where people don't think they're assets, they're always assets, right? Um, I just remember in my days of um, um, after Hurricane Katrina, organizing in Louisiana, Mississippi and Alabama with the equity and inclusion campaign, um, and folk would come to me and say, why, why are you going to, to that place, right? People are afraid to even go into that zip code. Why are you doing that? And I would say to them simply because one, my people, right we're there right. and two what you don't know that i know is that there are all these assets there are barber shops right there are there are churches there are nonprofit organizations and and when we finally right um as a funder community as an advocacy community understand how to connect all of those dots we will really truly realize all of our power um, and so Freedom Summer kind of represents all of that. I know that was a lot, here, but <laughs> no, that's brother, dope, <laughs> it kind of represents all of that for me. And right, what we will do in years out, right? We will grow, right? This movement we put in, you know, in partnering with you. Thank you again for for being kind of like the entry door for the for the grant applications, and you know, really kind of like you know, letting people know that they were in the pot in terms of you know what what we were able to do. But we only could put out this initial year because we moved so quickly, right? A million dollars um, and funded um, fifty one, you know, grantees across the country that will you know serve um, upward of you know eight to ten thousand um, boys and have served right to a degree already this summer um but the potential for me is unlimited because i've been singing again um you know you talk about like freedom summer right freedom song around there what we go. need to do right in, in upcoming years in 2023 and 2024 and 2025 because sadly we know um until we tackle right the challenges around um, violence in our communities, um, we need to be like staffing up um, right now, right? We need to be fundraising right now um, and not wait, right? And be surprised by right. by something that we may see, right? Um, anyway, Anthony, you know, I told you, no. I, you know, I'm a Southern <laughs> Baptist. I can start preaching on you, brother. <laughs> no, I appreciate that, brother. I just want to recognize, right? I know move fast, but to your point, a million dollars out the door to support 51 organizations across the country. It's going to impact almost 10,000 lives. That's not a small feat, right? Right. Not, no, no, no. It's no, not a small thing, right? So no, absolutely. we want to make sure. But this idea that resources need to hit the ground and they need to hit the ground in innovative ways is one of the key pieces of this conversation, right? And I think people got to understand, to your point, we've got to see an issue and we got to move quickly, right? right. And how do, we, right. how do we move? Because it's, it's, it's an urgency right now, right? So I just want to recognize you know five months in 
had this idea, shared it with your team, but also this idea I'm connecting the dots back to our history, right? That same Kofa moment, right? How do yes, we yes, yes. To move forward yes, yes, uh, yes. as we do this work? So I just want to recognize and elevate this idea that that's impact, right? And it's impact in a way that uh, allows those closest to uh, the issue to really be a solution, right? So, you know... Right. That, that idea that you guys are able to resource folks to do that work is dope, right? And I really appreciate the vision moving forward because we have for decades understood that summertime can be dangerous for young black men and boys of color. And we have never put solutions in place to stop that. You decided. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put some. I'm like, I'm like, brother, why are we acting like this is like a new phenomena? And you know, if you listen to the news, they're like, oh no, look what's happening. I'm like, but that's why we got to own this, right? We got to step up and the systems work you're doing with mayors, right? And, and making sure like the dollars are flowing and queued up and ready to go. Um, You know, again, um, sadly, right, with the young young men that we engaged, like we held some national town halls and had conversations mm. and our, our beautiful young young men of color, right? Or, or, or having conversations, right? Like when most people are excited that summer's coming, they're, mm. they're, they are having conversations around, will I survive summer? Right, how right? do I be safe, right? How do I be safe during the summer, right? right? Uh, the anxiety that they, the mental health challenges that they have to like own, right? When 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 others, right, that don't look like them from different zip codes, or right. or anticipating the family vacation, right? right. right. Um, and I and I want to say that it's just not enough um, for our boys and young men of color to survive. We in America must demand that they thrive. Absolutely. Um, that they have every single opportunity as any other child um they are as worthy and we again have to do the work to ensure that happens no i i I don't want to ask any more questions because what you just said is really really powerful but i do want to leave this conversation with what what where do you see where do you get your hope for for this work and what do you see coming in the next few years, right? So give us an idea of where you get your hope, but then also give us a vision for what you see coming uh, from NBK over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so uh, again, um, uh, let me let me not get too preachy with you, but but, <laughs> but when, you, when I think about my faith construct, right? There's a there's uh-huh. a whole lot in the whole narrative of the journey, right? Um, of faith that 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 um, embeds, inspires hope, right? Um, but but let me let me also say to you that um, even though my beautiful, beautiful mother died at the young age of 44, and like I had four younger sisters that, you know, that we were kind of, I was very, you know, I was in my early 20s, right? When, when she passed away and we fought, right? To continue to survive and we're thriving now. Let me tell you, I get hope from 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 the reality of that beautiful woman woke up every single day yeah. when she didn't know a way or, or or right or have a solution for maybe like how we we're going to eat that next day but she woke up right yeah. and and she found a way right through the midst of the challenge and the hardship right to to find a smile right and to say to her children right education right um prayer right 
um, to really still try to like see, right? Um, the future that was coming. I also get hope because I was blessed. I worked for the Children's Defense Fund and Marion Wright Edelman, yeah. um, right, early on in my career. And so I sat at the, the feet of the heroes and the sheroes of the civil rights movement, right? Absolutely. And I hear the stories, right? You know, all you got to do is just take, you know, and now you just got the phone, right? You don't even got to go to a library, right? Google civil rights movement and pull up a story, right? right. To understand that it is a challenge today, but what we're doing is building on, right? The legacy of others that came before us. And if they were able to have hope, brother Anthony, if they were able to have hope, right? Um, it is unexcusable for us to lack hope yeah. uh, because we have the best technology to connect us. We have funding streams that we can be smart around um, leveraging, right? Um, we've had, right? Um, elected leaders now, right? Like when, when I joined you at the conference of, of black mayors, right? Yeah. I mean, we have it all. We just got to start being strategic about how we connect all of these dots, right? So that also gives me hope, right? And let me also say, um, in a very personal way with the job that I'm in now, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I work for the Barack Obama Foundation, <laughs> right, brother? Right, like, like yeah. this, this, like this, this kid from the South Side, basically, right? That rose to become the president of the United States of America, Absolutely. right? Um, who's who? Who now, right? I'm walking some of the same streets he walked, right? right. I live in the South Side, right? Um, now, since I've taken this job, and and if that doesn't like um, push me on my worst days. Yeah. On days when I face, right, because we're facing a whole lot of trauma in our communities, right, um, to try to muster the energy, just like my mom, just to wake up one more day hopeful and to put that one foot in front of the other, right, and keep moving. Um, because if we keep moving and we're strategic, um, change is going to happen at, at the scale that we want it to. Um, you know, I'm, I, you know, I don't want to start talking about what I see uh, Freedom Summer 2028 being um, <laughs> far too much for my staff and everybody else to digest. But, um, but let me just say, a brother, hopeful and 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 really focus on how we how we continue to march forward. Now, I appreciate that, Dr. Wilson. That's right on point. Uh, and I really appreciate you making time uh, for this conversation. And we're thankful at Cities United for the partnership we have with you all. Uh, and look forward to 2028 when you, we are really rolling out your vision for Freedom Summer and partnership. Uh, because it will make change. It will make our community better, right? And, uh, and it, will, it will give those opportunities that you talked about to our young men who are so deserving and so... Uh, uh, in need of that we got to do all the work that we can so I just want to thank you for making time oh, for us thank you, thank you for your thank leadership you. Uh, and thank you for your partnership and uh, it's been a really exciting conversation getting to know you more as we continue to build out this relationship no 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 this is this is what it's about Anthony brother brotherhood and and, and collaborating working together no, none of us can do this alone so thank you thank you no, thank you thank you for joining us for this episode of the journey continues want to give a special thank you to our guests for joining us and sharing their wisdom and their knowledge. Join us every month as we elevate new voices, strategies, and resources to help us reimagine public safety and move us closer to our vision to create safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for all young black men and boys and their families. I want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, Levi Strauss and Company. 
As a global iconic leader, Levi Strauss and company knows that what they do and say matter. That's why they have pledged to support gun violence prevention efforts by providing grants to nonprofits who are working to end gun violence across the country. By elevating the stories of grassroots organizations who are successfully implementing violence prevention strategies in their communities and funding nonprofits who use digital tools and platforms to empower and lift up the voices of youth activists, Levi's believe that we can counter the gun violence epidemic in this country and make communities around this nation safer. To learn more about their goals, please visit their website at levistrauss.com. That's L-E-V-I-S-T-R-A-U-S-S dot com. We look forward to continuing this journey with you. Peace. See you next month.